And it was incredible. I mean, I recognized in that instant that this is not an opportunity that a girl from a small town in Colorado gets. There were Wall Street titans, there were billionaires, there were the you know, A-list actors, the most famous people we see on television, politicians. And they're all seated around this table playing this game that I didn't know what it was, but it seemed to be super compelling to them. Most of our favorite musicians and celebrities, the one we see on TV, we have a certain kind of perception about them. And um, these perceptions could be, you saw how well they acted in a particular movie, or they have this very beautiful golden voice that, I mean, when they sing, they sound, you know, they, they reach out into your soul and it builds a certain kind of perception about them. But then when you have the media come out and give you very funny or negative stories about them, you find that your perception may change. And um, it, there have been many stories. I mean, we've heard of uh, musicians like R. Kelly, and then you hear stories that came out about him. I hear of actors that may have made certain kind of comments that they were very controversial and certain groups were angry. But in today's discussion, we are going to be looking at a movie called Molly's Game. And uh, the synopsis basically talks about how she ran a poker game that brought together certain kind of um, celebrities that um, for all intents and purposes, she wanted to keep them anonymous, but we find that they were actually involved, you know, in certain kinds of behaviors. Um, not all of them, but uh, for, for the most part, they actually behaved in certain ways that they wanted to keep out of the public life. I believe that most um, celebrities have their rights to privacy, but <laughs> we cannot help the fact that we, yeah. <laughs> My name is Mfon and welcome again to another discussion, Real Talk Extra. And I have Onyeka with me. How you doing, Onyeka? What's up? How you doing? <laughs> Good to have you back. Yeah. So, um, Molly's Game, what, what we know, um, the movie Molly's Game, you know, it's, it, I, the way I feel about it is like it's, it's compartmentalized in terms of it just, it's like it's telling many different stories in mm -hmm. one, you know, where we rotate between, you know, some kind of relationship between a father-daughter relationship. You Then you have this young girl who goes into some kind of, you know, gambling and some poker racket. Mm -hmm. And then you have on the one side, you have the mafia on the, <laughs> on the one side. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then you, you have a little bit about talking about sports and how, um, how involvement in sports leaked into. So, so we have a whole, a whole lot going on in this movie. Uh, what base, how did this movie basically rob you? Yeah, it was a cool movie. Um, Molly's Game was a movie that came out in 2017. You know, the, the lead character, Molly, was played by one of my a very lovely actress, Jessica Chastain. And for people who don't know her, she was in a that Osama movie where, you know, where they depicted how the Americans killed Osama. But anyway, the movie was a nice movie. It has some of our favorite actors in there. It has people like Jessica Alba. It was a good movie, you know, feel-good movie talking about um, how a lady had to, how she entered into, you know, the dangerous world of, of, of gambling. And it's, it revealed some certain things that, you know, most people didn't know about our airlines and the, and the world, you know, the industry and stuff. So it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movie personally. You know, not for the fact of the, the content and the accent per se, but just for what they revealed about certain people and certain actions they normally take for pleasure. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, first of all, I think I like the way the movie kind of just draws you in. It takes you from, you know, touches on Molly's uh, skiing career. Her father is trying to make her some kind of trophy, you know, trophy child and mm -hmm. has to drill her very hard. And she runs into this skiing accident while she is training for her Olympic trials, if I'm correct. And she, she has this accident. 
um, prior to that, I think she had some kind of surgery on her back and she had to, um, she, it, it was already difficult, but after the accident she had in the trials, it pretty much just knocked her out of the Olympic, um, chances of, you know, being some kind of Olympic athlete star. And then as she has to go to school, I think to study law or was that law? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then I think when the, the the film actually starts brewing when she moves to Los Angeles, so to speak, and you know L.A. and she California, <laughs> she has about it. <laughs> she works. She she I think she started working for. She started um, her career by working in a restaurant and yeah. um, working for a guy called Darren Feinstein. And um, now it probably may not be because one of the things we want to note about this movie is that it does not use people's real names. So, I mean, if I find myself calling their real names interchangeably, just know that their real names have been made public knowledge really mm-hmm. because uh, that's the reason why Darren Feinstein's name is sticking in my head right now. So Darren Feinstein uh, basically employs her to work in his in his um restaurant and then um as he watches the way she works and the way she relates with his customers, you know, helps him sell drinks and all of that, then he kind of brings her into an inner circle where they start gambling. And um, she helps them organize poker games. One of the things I think I like is the way that she is able to learn on the fly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, it takes a different kind of talent for somebody to say, you want to start Googling people's, um, Google the kind of music that poker, poker players you know, listen, listen to, to. <laughs> it's, it's so she, she she actually came from a home of where excellence was, where excellence in what you do was prioritized. Her dad was a professor of, um, was a professor and a, a psychiatrist, I think a clinical psychiatrist. Mm. So he, so he pushed, he pushed his children pretty hard. You know, it's why when she had her back surgery at 12, she still was able to make it to be a top three you know, Olympic trialist before she had a nasty accident that took her out of the sport completely. So that background, now you know, she's coming from a backdrop of excellence where you have to do the best. So everywhere she went to, she got noticed. You know, she was a waitress working in a restaurant and Darren Feinstein was all of the key customers there, you know, who are the real estate company. He employs her and is into his firm. From there, he now tells her that, okay, you have to organize my poker games for me. And she got there. She didn't know anything about organizing a poker game. But, you know, given the sort of person she was, she went all out, you know. She got there. She started Googling what sort of music to play, what sort of food to eat. And instantly she became a hit. And, you know, it took off from there. Yeah. She basically must be motivated because her brother, if you notice her family, like you just rightly mentioned. she She had a brother who was an Olympic skier. And played yeah. for the uh-huh. Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, in America, you know how people take like the the football. It's 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 mm-hmm. very huge and um, it's religious. Yeah, and some people like me, I know a couple of people who are Eagles fans, and you can imagine like this kind of story. The way it seeps into them, they'll just look at it and say, "Ah, this guy, I know. This, this was this. They are just telling the story of his his sister, you know." So it's it's just um part of the thing, and most of the times. Trophy children, I've noticed a pattern. They don't have parents who were typically nice to them and wanted to give them that kind of um, uh, childhood. We've heard stories of how Michael Jackson's dad would have gotten them to wake up very early in the morning and all that. We know the story of Venus and Serena and how their dad... I mean, we don't have any stories of Venus and Serena's dad being mean, but, you know, it's the mm-hmm. training, the drilling. You, you may not basically be able to do the things you're... Your your yeah. um your peers did so it was kind of sad that all that just culminated to her having an accident and she is not mm-hmm. able to to function mm-hmm. as a normal person. 
But I want to talk a little bit about this character they call Darren Feinstein, the guy who employs her. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing about what we know about him basically is that he is not your run-of-the-mill regular nice guy per se. He was a mean guy, and some people may say he was an a-hole. Because <laughs> well, he, he was just nasty. I mean, um, I try to take note of, you know, when true stories are being depicted in movies and how you want to say, because, of course, you cannot say all the bad things the person did, all the good mm-hmm. things at the same time. But when you pick some to put in a one-and-a-half-hour reel, you are looking mm-hmm. at trying to pick the key points. And the popular one that has been depicted everywhere that I have checked about this particular story was the part when she went to go get him some bagels. Mm-hmm. And then he came and said that, um, I do not um, eat poor people's bagels. And he kind of throws the bagel um, away, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, now, if we look at, you know, the movie has Idris Elba, who plays the part of Charles Jaffe, that is supposed mm-hmm. to be her lawyer. And mm-hmm. um, he purports, because uh, for the life of me, that's the only place I saw that, that mm-hmm. what Molly Bloom wrote in her book about him was he said, I don't like poor people, Bagel, but he purports that he actually said he does not eat N-word. Nick. <laughs> bagels. He doesn't eat nigger food. <laughs> I, was what he meant. I, I do not, <laughs> I do, I cannot find anything out there that supports, you know, what he said. You get mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's what Charles Jaffe said, because I, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. saying that that did did Darren Feinstein actually really say this? We don't know because it appears that mm-hmm. Molly Bloom wrote this book to just tell a story and try to leave people out of it. That is what I think. But wherever Charles Jaffe would have gotten the fact that um, um, he said, I don't eat N-word bagels. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm like, what? So... <laughs> so we don't really we don't really know <laughs> at the end of yeah. the day but when you put that when you drop that line in a film you know the way the broadcasters come on air and they try to tell you a lot of things but they are not actually telling you that so that when lawsuits come they can easily deny it <laughs> I think <laughs> it's just the way it appears to be because I mean you've dropped that thing in my mind and now a viewer is thinking that ah Darren Feinstein, how can he say something like that? Uh, yeah, we know he's mean, but we didn't know he was. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. We didn't know he was that mean. But why do why would you think that would have been dropped in the film? Do you think that do you allude to, or did you see anything that supports that? Well, it's possible. I I I do know that there are lots of people who equate um, being poor with certain race, races, certain racial demographics. Right. So. It's maybe they put it in for the shock value, you know. Sometimes when you're watching a movie, you hear some things, and this is meant to elicit a certain reaction. But mm-hmm. I, some people just equate being poor with certain races. Like in Nigeria, there are certain tribes that are being equated with certain things. Like for example, something crafty happens. They say, "Oh, you're yeah, from Susa so tribe." or you eat a certain kind of food and it's extra spicy, they're like, oh, this must have been a certain person from this tribe that cooked this meal. You know, it's just, sometimes there's no malice in it. There's no real malice. The person is just a nasty asshole that doesn't think before they speak. Not like they hate the person, but, you know, it's just, hey, I don't do this. And so if the person said, I don't eat nigger food or I don't eat nigger bagels or, you know, however it wants to be equated, the person might have just meant it on the surface, you know, it's it's, an, it's not a nice thing to say. It's a very nasty thing to say. But who knows whether it's real or not. You know, saying I don't eat poor people's food is actually horrible too because a, a bagel is, is, is a lovely thing to eat. So I don't know what's poor about a bagel. I think it's more about I, where she bought I, it from. I don't want to live in a world where I'm a billionaire and eating a bagel is seen as a bad thing. <laughs> that, but that's just me. It's a question of like you know I I I I, I know I know certain people like uh, that say they don't shop at Walmart 
then there are others that say, I don't know, for me, it took me a while to find out, oh, this thing, it, it, it appears to be a thing. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it's a thing, because I've heard people say, no, for the life of me, I do not shop at Walmart. Now, it just could be that Walmart is very crowded, and they don't just mm-hmm. want to be where to remember that they'd rather go to shop at Target and places like yeah. that. They don't, they like a very nice, spacious place, you know, real, you will see the social distance and even before COVID and all that. And I've shopped at these two places, and I, th- I think I, I see the problem. But I don't know if I will come to the point and say, I, if I need to buy something from Walmart, I'll go and buy it from Walmart, or I shop for it online. But exactly. it might be a thing. It might not be a thing. I don't, I can't really say for sure. But yeah. you see, okay, Darren Feinstein brings Molly Bloom into his racket, and she starts doing this mm-hmm. whole thing. And she's making tips like a three like $3,000 a night, which is wow, huge money. I mean, we're talking of this big, you know, he brings her into this world where we have celebrities, sharp-looking guys, you know, that are known. You know, it's, I just, I'm trying to get into the mind of Molly now where people just come in and she says, man, this is... This guy I see on TV every day. Ah, man, mm-hmm. maybe one of her favorite actors, you know, and all that. And I'm trying to imagine how she was able to, you know, manage, you know, being starstruck during all that period. But she just kept her cool. But at the same time, I'm also thinking that, look, my, my brother plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. So maybe mm-hmm. I'd be, somehow with my family yeah. would have known certain kind of people. So I just believe that in her she had that kind of you know immunity to being extra starstruck than just the basic yeah, um, person yeah. i mean what do you think she she was she, i mean to to be an olympic level athlete it's 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 phenomenal you know you can't no one that's the height of physical you know performance olympic level and she was Number three in North America. She came from a, she wasn't by any way, she wasn't from a poor family, you know. So she already had that, she must have gone to a good school. You know, her, her dad was a professor, you know. They were, as they were for all intents and purposes, they were from a well-to-do family. You know, she wasn't, you know, just above middle class, if I can say. So she was already a person comfortable in her own skin. Going there and seeing those people would have been, you know, wow, I'm seeing all these great people. But she also knew that if lots of the injury, she might have been here in her own right, you know. If she was someone that was into gambling and poker, maybe she would have been somebody sitting on the table, you know, and looking at someone else. Maybe not Molly. Maybe, you know, Polly. And, you know, betting and doing all those things. So, at some level, sometimes when you have a certain upbringing or background, Certain things don't phase you, you know. It's yeah. why some parents put some parents put their kids to make their kids go to certain schools that stretch their pockets a bit, so that they can mingle with children of from big families. They can get used to being at the height of society, because if you're not so used to being there, when you eventually get to that level, if you haven't already measured yourself. When you get there, you end up being unbalanced and you can make mistakes that have devastating consequences. So there's a part of how you feel that is just, you know, she felt, look, um, these yeah. guys are just, you know, okay. That, she that is able to see all. beyond the, the stardom yeah. of human pe- of mm-hmm. people and just knows that these guys are everyday guys. I mean, I've met a couple. Yeah. Probably my, my brother plays for the Philadelphia, Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. I know how people True. fantasize about him, you know, like your favorite mm-hmm. soccer player and all these guys. But it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, the way she sees him is just my brother. So mm-hmm. it just appears so in that yeah. way. But okay, what we know also is that we start seeing where people are coming into this game and we are having people who are staking as much as $10,000 a night, you know, 200 Sometimes, according to this story and some of the reports we know about this story, games were moving into like $250,000 per night. And in fact, there was a, a particular commentary I watched where she said that she had witnessed a particular celebrity lose a hundred million dollar in a single night. These were high stakes and pay. Yes, and they, they have. It was actually on Ellen's show. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the real, the real, the real character played by played by Jessica Chastain, yeah. and the real Molly showed up on Ellen's show, 
And she said that on one night, a certain player lost $100 million. Yeah. Now, that wasn't so terrible. Well, it's terrible. It's scary enough. $100 million is a lot of money. You know, to lose $100 million in one night was not able what shocked her. What shocked her was the person paying the next day. That means he has How the money. How do you pay $100 million? How do you bet $100 million, lose it, and pay? So I don't that's, know. I don't know me. how. Maybe they work with the banking systems. I think those are particular gray areas with regards to noise. But um, if not, I don't know that you are going to have maybe a regular um, actor, musician, singer. I don't know what their bank. Nah, it's is. that. Has to be a business it's maybe a, a business mogul that has has warned you that if you say my name in your book, I will get you for everything. So we may never know because so far. The people we, I think we know that we appear to know, so to speak, as reported by you know Time Magazine, we know that Leonardo, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio was there, Ben Affleck was there, and then for anybody who has watched this movie, if you look at the character they call Player X, a lot of articles out there, and in fact, it probably may be public knowledge right now that that was um. Um, Toby Maguire, who Spider-Man known for his role in uh, Spider-Man. So, Peter Parker. Yeah, you know. So and, and um, you you see that's why I tell people sometimes that when you look at people on screen, understand that <laughs> these people are actors. That is their job. If you're a doctor mm-hmm. and you're watching, they can't do what you do. You cannot do what they do. So when somebody mm-hmm. appears and, you know, they make all those facial expressions and they try to, to portray a role in a certain kind of way, understand that that is their job. Mm-hmm. You see a, a, a Robert De Niro, you know, acting funny and, you know, he can play part of a mafia assassin mm-hmm. in one second and in another movie he's playing the part of an intern, an old intern mm-hmm. as a comedian. And understand that, how does he do that? That's his job. <laughs> so yeah, when we see these guys on TV and, you know, we have our image of them. I mean, I look at Peter Parker and then when you hear a story like this and they say, ah, player X was Toby Maguire. And I'm like, I'm trying to mentally reconcile everything. I say, ah, how you know, <laughs> like you said, like you said, the actors are doing their job. In fact, for anybody who knows the game of poker, I think the people best suited to play the game of poker are actors and high-level businessmen because poker requires you to take risks without showing your hand. And the only way you can show your hand is to keep a straight face or fake a certain expression so that the person that's going against you feels they have an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on what you want to elicit. So there's no better person actually to play poker with than an actor. Because if you're playing poker against an actor, you know this person acts for a living. This person can cry on cue. This person can be angry on cue. This person can, can do so many things on cue. And you will know if it's acting. So when the stakes, when the high stakes evolve, when, for example, there are $100 million on the line, can this person's tears be real or not? That's, so for a businessman going against all, like maybe a Tobey Maguire or DiCaprio, he's trying to say, okay, I'm going against this guy. Is this guy acting now? Is he, is, he, is, he, is he faking? You know, does he really have an ace? Does he have a, you know, does he have a flush? Does he have a river? You know, you, you see all these things and the, the whole risk-reward thing comes out. And for someone who is maybe addicted to gambling, there can be no greater rush than defeating someone whose work is to defeat people in this sort of environment. It's, mm. it's, it's to be a, a heady rush. I can't imagine going home willing. It's not about winning the money now. It's about I beat Brad Pitt, I beat DiCaprio, I beat whoever in the game of luck. I beat him. I looked at his face. I knew he didn't have this. I bet and I won. It's, that, is, that, that is kind of huge here. Because the truth is, if you're an actor, I feel you would want to deploy to your advantage any chance you get. Yeah. And I've never really thought about it in that particular light. Because, you see, you can always make an expression. Because, because the game of poker has a little bit of you know, psychology behind it. You yeah. are able to look mm-hmm. at people's facial expression and know that. And when, somebody has, and when somebody has certain kind of, you know, some, some certain kind of 
games mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. And they know that in a split second, they could lose like a hundred million dollars as an example. It is something that I, it, it may probably be even hard for the best actor to, to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to hide your official yeah, expression. Say, man, exactly. I'm screwed. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I'm going to lose this exactly. money. You may throw all your acting wins. It will take somebody that is very... And sometimes I think they would use it. It was actually depicted in a particular scene in the film. I can't mm-hmm. actually remember if this particular character we are talking about was an actor, but we know that it was depicted in one um, particular part of the brain. So we noticed that this movie actually is saying a lot of things in one movie. On the one hand, we see the mafia is involved when... Um, her games moved. I think that was for lack of a better name to call them because when they say the mafia, some people may think it's um, Italian or this, but these were supposedly Russian mafia. They actually came to the point when Molly was striking out on her own because if you watch this movie up to the point where she fell out with with Feinstein and then um, she had a lot of contacts already. And that's the thing about business. When you bring people into your business, especially personal one-to-one business, they get to know people. And of course, they exchange phone numbers. And I will use the Nigerian word, if I'm correct. She slided Feinstein by getting his contacts, really, and tried to get these guys to come to a different location to play these games after she fell out with, um, with Feinstein. But at the end of the day, you see, I think that Feinstein felt that he had the power over Molly. And what I am getting from this movie is that there is this kind of power play between Molly and Feinstein. And as we would later see, player X, where it's as if they feel, look, I have the power over you and you do not have the power over me. Now, there is a particular scene where it was, um, I think it was um, something about um, player X told her to, was it back like a dog for $1,000 and she refused. Mm -hmm. And this was what now set off the whole um, power play. Because, I mean, why would you ask her to back like a dog and give you a thousand dollars. It's a, it's just a, a, a thing like, look, mm-hmm. oh, I have money and I feel I own you because I mm-hmm. have this money kind of thing. And we find in that thing too that Molly Bloom is say, look, I'm not going to mess with that. It means that she feels that being within that space, if I am correct, is that she already has some kind of credibility, some kind of mm-hmm. power, and we are looking at between two things do people did people come to play this game because of molly bloom or is it because of what molly bloom created because i'm i'm looking at she created a situation where she made people feel ah i can come and play with uh, ben affleck man that's so cool i could mm-hmm. probably get some very cool instagram shots i could probably mm-hmm. get some nice facebook i mean you know so she got some top players based on their egos and everything. And then we see this power play between these guys, especially Feinstein and player X. What do you think? Do you think that there's this, um, um, they really had the upper hand because we actually remember the scene where, uh, player X calls Molly and tells her you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. For for a lot of for a lot of people that you know are involved in, for example, gambling, especially gambling off the books, there's a lot of ego involved, a lot of ego, a lot of power dynamics, and it takes a lot for them not to abuse that power and that ego. You know, initially before she set up her own games, she was getting she was doing well, and Feinstein gets jealous and gets upset and tells her that he's going to stop paying her her regular salary for the normal job she does. And she's like, why? He's like, you're getting tips from here. You know, that's where we find out that she's making up to $3,000 a night from tips. And she's like, but what does that have to do with anything? But he just wanted to clip her wings. He felt she was getting too popular. She was becoming a 
She was becoming, in quotes, a celebrity in her own right because she was the one behind the, organi the organizing. She sent people messages about when the games will hold. So she had access. And she was using it the right way and in the proper way. And he just felt that that was too much power to give to someone who he had control over. So he first tried to clip her wings by taking her income away, which is where she decided to branch out. Now, unfortunately for her, one of the key people that followed her to branch out was Player X. Player X was one of the star attractions of the gambling of the poker nights because not only was he, as we can observe later, most likely Toby Maguire, he was also a good poker player. You know, so for people that enjoy poker, he was someone that you want to play with. For people who just wanted that ego strokes, he was someone you want to play against because he was a popular face, you know. I'm sure at that time, given the time period of the movie and everything, Spider-Man had already come out. So you want to beat Spider-Man, you know? You want to play you poker against Spider-Man. You just want to be seen to be You want to hang out with him. You want to beat him. You want to yeah. pit your wits against him. So all those egos and everything. And, you know, the whole thing about gambling is it releases a dopamine into the, into the brain, you know, which is the same thing that happens when you eat a meal you like or when you have sex. Or where you take video certain, games, everything, yeah. Certain or you know substances, illicit substances. So, for gamblers, that's like a very heady mix. It's like it's like someone watching porn of their favorite actress. Porn on its own has its own addictive substance. Then your favorite actress makes it even more addictive. So gambling against an actor is for people that want to gamble is like the ultimate experience. Or gambling against a famous person because you are defeating your fantasy. It's like playing a game. It's like living in a game. It's like playing, you know, Street Fighter. You're fighting, you know, Major Bison in real life. There's no ultimate experience that, okay, for someone that plays Street Fighter, you come out and you fight the main bad guy in real life. So for, for that, the whole ego thing and the whole gambling thing, it was all about that. So most of these people really tried to clip her wings. They really wanted to clip her wings. So there was a lot of power and ego involved. I think that so for, for some people... was right. For, for some people, I would just think that, look, I mean, if she's good for the business, she's bringing mm -hmm. these players, she's, um, she's actually there. For, for the life of me, this movie depicts that Feinstein did not know what a spreadsheet was there was a scene like yeah. that you remember she she said look i she she brought the smarter she brought the 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 mm -hmm. the the e part of the business it means you mm -hmm. were doing it analog before molly bloom got there that's what it mm -hmm. appears to be because i mean if not yeah you will not have a scene that she is telling feinstein that look oh if we put it on a spreadsheet and we see the actor that is supposed to be playing the part of feinstein looking like he does mm -hmm. not know exactly what is going on but he just trusts that but mm -hmm. so what part is her own credit? Because you have to credit her. And I believe that based on the fact that she knows what she brought to the table. She did mm -hmm. research about music that is supposed to be played. She mm -hmm. did a lot of, you know, she did a lot of um, background work, you know, connecting these guys, basically just beyond the... the but Feinstein was not seeing that. All he was seeing is that, oh... Dude, if she's helping your business, why don't you just stay mm -hmm. off limits and leave her alone? But then you now wanted to yeah. have that, you know, he I mm -hmm. think he wanted to have that power control and already the the his character is portrayed as somebody who is actually a, a mm -hmm. nasty guy who just wants to, you know, anything. And but you see, if it was him, if it was only him, it would have been a different thing. But we find out that this thing also shows with player X. At the yeah. end of the day, when he too tries to give her a thousand dollars, and then it did, mm -hmm. then she said, "Look, dude, you're not doing that with me." And she cops out mm -hmm. of it, and then he tries to, you know, to mess her up at the end of the day. So, what are, my interest there is just the whole, you know, power play thing there that I feel like was unnecessary because she is helping your business. I don't know. Some people may say it's like. Uh, you are just like you just you're just all about your money. I I think so because because mm -hmm. if your business is doing well, why must it be her? Why don't you just you know? <laughs> well, you say the thing about the, the poker nights that Faisal started, it yeah. wasn't a profit making thing for him. It wasn't a business. Nobody was being, nobody was paying 
admission to come and play the games. He had a business that he was doing in real estate, and I'm sure that's where he probably met most of these people. And, you know, he decided to have poker night. You know, he lives in LA. It's LA for so you can come across anyone. So because his poker games were slightly popular and certain people came, it was a source of pride that this is his thing. He has something that people, you know, people over the world travel to Las Vegas to get his experience. And he's provided it at no cost to certain people. So you want to play poker? Come to my place. You can play poker with this person. Like an ego trip. You know, like the way some people own lounges and restaurants and, you know, in popular places and, you know, Rodeo Drive and all those things. You do these things to have a certain power base that you can operate from. So now you bring in someone that comes in with excellence that everybody knows is not from you. You know, they can tell that when it was only you, that was how this thing was going. Now there's someone that knows I like my, my martini shaking and not stirred. There's someone that knows I want to have my, I want to eat bagels, for example. Or there's someone that knows that I want pizzas delivered from this particular pizza store. There's someone that has done all that without me asking or without having to talk. So that excellence that she brought in was taking away his power. Was taking away but his power. He was taking away his power. Okay, I think I see. I see exactly. You understand? Because, and you know, so that's exactly why Player X reacted that same way too. Because when she moved, Player X was the first person that moved with her. And people move because Player X moves. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they also noticed that she now grew beyond Player X, Player X had to clip her wings. As we first started by trying to offer her something that only someone that didn't know the award would take. I mean, someone who's organizing games where the buying is $250,000. Why would yeah. you offer the person the $1,000 to bark like a dog? I will give her that she was also able to replicate this business without Feinstein and Player mm-hmm. X, even though yeah. it was that these were the people that she built the, the business on. You know, mm-hmm. like at least she used them, but at some point... She mm-hmm. believed in herself and knew that she mm-hmm. had something to bring to the table with regards to the, the whole thing. And for the most part, it was working out perfectly. When we mm-hmm. come back, we will talk about some of the reasons why it actually took a different kind of turn. That's yeah. when we get back. One of the things <laughs> that I have to start with here is Toby McGuire who, uh, you know, really good actor, really good Uh poker player, really greedy jerk. (laughs) You said it. Explain to my audience why I'm saying that, though. Um, you know, at a table, he's just out for blood, and he's, he's, he's keeping a, keeping track of every penny and looking for any way he can to, um, to make more. Not only is he trying to make money off the other players, he actually pushed you out of the game you were running. Yes, he did. And, and also had a, a piece of equipment, a, a shuffling machine that he yes. had. And, and actually, even though he was making millions of this game, didn't he try to rent that to you? Yes, he insisted we used it, which you know I, I think was probably, in retrospect, a good decision. But then uh, upon assisting we use it, he told me he was going to charge rent. And then he raised the rates the next year. <laughs> he was like a shuffle master slumlord. <laughs> so we find that this business or game, so to speak, is going on smoothly. And then um, now for anybody watching this film, you may have a different perception or many different understanding of what exactly happened. But I want to ask you first, what do you think actually was, was um, because you may have something different from myself. Gambling has you know, the, the gaming laws in America that affect how you can gamble and what you can do. And for you to run a private game and not be, and not go foul of the law is if you're not making money off it. So for anybody running a gambling game, you know, probably in your house and huge sums of money are being bet, the only way you can stay out of the IRS and FBI's nose radar is do not take a cut from the money. Once you take the cut from the money, you are a business. And if you are a business, you need to have a gaming license and which money's game did not have. So based on that, 
And once you have a gambling license, all those things, you have to pay taxes on it. And you know how the whole American financial system works. So the problem came when some people were, you know, were not making up, were defaulting on the on the bets. You know, okay, you also on a hundred thousand, and you don't pay. So she had to start paying people off from the tips she was making, which wasn't sustainable. So one of her of her dealers, people that you know share the cards, told her that look. You have to take money because if from one day you are going to owe somebody uh, $400,000 and you can't pay. So how are you going to do it? You know, you can't because the whole point of gambling is I can cover up any loss you have. Mm. You know, if you, go, if you go to a casino and you gamble, no matter how much you win, you get your money. And the whole the casino guarantees that you get your money. If you win $100 million at the casino, you are going to get $100 million because they're business and they guarantee you that what you win, you get. Yeah. But if you do it in a private home and you, you win $100 million of someone, if somebody says, okay, I bet $10 million, I'll write the check. You're supposed to guarantee that they get the check. That is why they do it within your space. Molly couldn't do that. So for her to do that, she started taking the cuts off bets. And that's when she went, to, you know, she went afoul of the law. And I think she, that, that was one aspect that I noticed. Yeah, that was but just I, one, that I, was just I, one I, I also feel like there was a fusion of a lot of things. Now, there was this particular player that actually started coming to play when she went um, solo in quotes, or I think mm-hmm. she was still with a little, she was a little bit with um, player X then, I can't remember, yeah. but it was a player they called Bradley Ruderman, and mm. Bradley, also <laughs> known as Bad Brad, and Bad Brad was so bad because he was bad at the games. He was losing $100,000 a night on the average, which was terrible. But we now come to find that Bradley is actually, you know, deliberately losing this money because some of the players, you know, that is when you start bringing all these strange people into things. You know, when we did hustlers mm-hmm. and everything was mm-hmm. good until they started bringing strange yeah. girls to come and do the hustle. Now you start bringing strange players you don't know. Because you mm-hmm. see, you're trying to go solo, but you did not know that inside these strange players, you are having hedge fund fraudsters, you're having mm-hmm. Russian mafia guys, you are having, and mm-hmm. then we have Brad, ba- Bad Brad, who is in the middle of things, and he's deliberately losing money. My understanding is he's deliberately losing this money so that somehow. Mm-hmm. They are doing some kind of money laundering through the the banking system. I always stand to be corrected because, like I said, there was a lot. There was a he lot. He was he was actually running a Ponzi scheme. You know, something like like yes, a minimal. Yeah. He was running a Ponzi scheme, so he kept playing against these guys and losing money. So that you know, if you play games with someone who's deliberately losing a lot of money, one, you feel he has a lot of money to lose. Secondly, he you have a certain connection with the person. So he will lose money with these people that he will now tell her that, okay, he runs this business where, you know, if you do this, you get this amount back and all that stuff. So he was running a Ponzi scheme, but he was ingrating himself with people who could afford to, to bet $100 million and lose it. So that, you know, when he gets money from these people, he can use money from this person to pay that person. So for him, Bad Brad was actually one of the greatest players at the table, if you look at it that way. Because yeah. his losses were really were actually calculated. He did. It, it appears he did it on purpose. That's what. Yeah. We, that's what we see. Because yeah. you see, like I said, it was a lot of mm-hmm. things. It was a whole, you know, chemistry that got to the mm-hmm. point where she gets arrested mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. this one is mixing with this to make this happen. And you see, if it was just taking a little from the till alone. It is something that I believe that, you know, they are just one of those things that people say, oh, man, everybody does it. And mm-hmm. possibly she would have gotten away with it and made a lot of money. But the mm-hmm. issue was that she was in the midst of a whole racket she knew nothing about. People were just yeah. using her table as the joint to move these monies around. And mm-hmm. a lot of guys on that table were under FBI watch. And that FBI mm-hmm. watch is basically what now led them to finding to find out that ah okay you too were mm-hmm. you were doing some because mm-hmm. i mean she could have she could have come out to say look i, I didn't know any of these guys i was just running a poker table but now mm-hmm. because fbi has now 
followed the money trail and it has mm-hmm. come to you, they also find out that, look, okay, what about this? Oh, you were taking something out of it. Of which she admits to in the in the movie at the same time and goes into, you know, the system because, you know, the movie just starts with an FBI bust after I went yeah. on this game part <laughs> and, then, and then walks you walks you back like a typical um, a movie. So anyways, that now fizzles into, um, you know, her meeting Charles Jaffe and they have this whole court thing and they go into ex- um, explanation. But one of the key things, like, I think she goes into the system and I'll just care to, I'll just share that. I think the judge puts her on probation just because he tries to make this comparison that Wall Street's guys steal more money and all that that's what are you just want to get this girl for something that i think at the back of the mind probably he thinks man everybody could have been mm-hmm. doing this thing but it's just because mm-hmm. you're chasing the big fish and then you just want to now come and hound the small fish for just because she was taking just a little thing and i think that was how she was able to escape jail time but i think mm-hmm. she has a i can't remember if she is she has a record as a felon or something like that because those things also affect in this whole um, system. And then the FBI finds out. How, do, how did the FBI find out about you? Well, um, I, you know, the, the, the trajectory that I started out from serving people drinks, then I became a game runner and operator. And then ultimately I became the bank. So I was extending credit to these guys. Um, I was essentially loaning them money, guaranteeing that money. Um, I had to figure out, I had to do background checks and, and, and vet them to see if they were good for it, you know. And, and so that, um, and I, I was getting stiffed a lot. I mean, I had to write big checks for people that didn't pay. So I, I started taking a percentage of the pot like Vegas does. And that was when I crossed over and, and broke a federal law. And um, the first, you know, the feds first found out about it because a guy in my L.A. game was running a Ponzi scheme. He lost $5 million in the game, and they came after all of us. That's how the celebrities got outed. That's how they found out about this game. Yeah. And then the feds started secretly following me. <laughs> So being a trophy dad or trophy mom is basically depicted by people who are able to, you know, drill your child into winning that championship medal or winning that Grammy award or being a top Hollywood celebrity or something. I mean, there are people who just have an idea of what their children should be and they drill them so hard. And Molly Bloom happens to fall within this category. And her father drilled her so hard and it appears that there is um, a part where she starts, you know, being a little bit rebellious. She rebels against her dad. And these things are shown in different pockets of the movie, basically just to build her character, to show uh, why she did, you know, what, what, what she did. At the part now when she starts getting into trouble and the movie depicts where she's, you know, having these sessions with um, her lawyer, Charles Jaffe, and then she goes for i think they take a break and she goes for a little skiing <laughs> skiing she goes to ski mm-hmm. and her dad now pops back into her life her dad is played by kevin costner in this movie and um, oscar winner yeah he comes at her most vulnerable you know time where she feels she doesn't know if she's gonna go to jail how did she get involved with the russian mafia <laughs> how did she get involved mm-hmm. with look at me i'm now in the same kind of problem with hedge fund fraudsters and Ponzi scheme guys. And, you know, so it's a Mm -hmm. lot that is actually going on. But we see where she pops back and, you know, into her life and he gets a sit down with her. And at some point, I think it was at this point, I found out that he was a psychologist and a therapist. And that was what he actually Mm -hmm. did for a living. And that was what he used to make these children to become who they were. And, you know, in being successful and and everything but there is a particular um part like we see in in the clip that we just heard you know where he asks her these questions like you know giving her some therapeutic questions when she was young and you know ask her like what do you think about marriage (laughs) she said it's a trap when you're asking your teenage daughter that kind of question and she's telling you that kind of answer 
understand that she has seen something. I don't know if I need to be a therapist to know this or I need to go to Harvard <laughs> to know this. <laughs> because when you're asking your teenage daughter, what do you think of our marriage? I say, it's a trap. Ah, there is, there is something is wrong somewhere. <laughs> and then he asked society. She said, it's a joke. <laughs> a joke. And so I think, you see, him being a therapist and based on her responses, she, he, he knew what the issue was. And we come to find out that it appears that um, he caught him having an affair when she was much young. And, you know, little events like that in a child can actually set off some kind of behavioral patterns that will not heal easily. There are a lot of people who they are who they are today because of child trauma. And it's, yes. um, it's a lot. You, you, <clears throat> it will take just a little more than just telling the person some one or two words to fix it because mm-hmm. the person is like how we say scarred for life. So yeah. To, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, he asks her questions like, what about people? I mean, when he says society, he says it's a joke. He says, what about people? He says, mm-hmm. I don't trust people. Hmm. He says, what about heroes? I don't have any heroes. So you're telling your father, you know, some children will normally say, like, I mean, I have my kids, they say, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah. Where do you get to the point where they now tell you that I don't have any hero? Ah. What do you um, think about the following concepts? Just gonna run them by you. Marriage. It is a trap. Society. It is a joke. People. I don't trust people. I don't have any heroes. Mm. So being a therapist, I am of the opinion that he feels he knows that something is wrong. But on the one hand, according to the story, which I feel is a spin-off from the book, I'm thinking that I don't know how much this would have had to do with it, but I know that she had this space where she had to leave her parents and move mm-hmm. to LA. And basically some of the choices she made, they cut off funding for her and she started to hustle. How much mm-hmm. of all these things do you think has to do with the kind of person that Molly Bloom became? Well, um, when you have, when you deal with early, early child trauma, for some people, you know, I'm not a full psychologist, but I can tell for some people, it causes them to, to become, you know, sometimes very driven, extra driven. You know, they want to prove that they are worthy. They want to prove that they are capable. So they push themselves beyond, beyond the norm. You know, they don't, they don't look at the regular life as normal. So it affects them. It affects how they do things. It affects how they react to things. It affects how they interact with people. And as the questions you mentioned and the responses she gave, it affected how she reacted with her, her relationship with her, with her dad changed. The whole trauma and certain things that happened in her, in her time, in her life at that time, it changed their reaction, it changed the way they interacted with themselves. And it just, it gave her that extra edge. She had an edge. And that was one thing that, that was evident throughout the, the, the movie. She yeah. had that edge. It's why when she was in the restaurant, she stood out, you know, when she started running the games, because the girl that was running the games before her didn't stand out. You know, that was just, okay, that games tonight, the regular, okay, you want a beer, have a beer, you know, the regular stuff. But she came with that extra edge. And sometimes, even though it eventually damages the person, sometimes trauma or things like that, when they're unresolved, mm-hmm. the, the restlessness at all it creates in a person pushes them to to do things that they wouldn't have normally done. In her in her case, because she came from a family of excellence and stuff, it gave her an extra drive. So even though she wasn't doing the career she had meant to do, which was be an Olympian or continuing with her legal, you know, legal career, she was excelling in running in an, an under uh, underground poker game we see in this movie where this is actually pulled out to try to see maybe we can get a little more understanding of her motives. But um, yes, I'm not a psychologist to a therapist, but I think I will take from the expert, which was depicted in the movie by Molly's mm-hmm. dad, when she said, when he, when he told her, you know, he said, I'm going to give you a full 
<laughs> three-year therapy <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in, you know, cut it short, in three questions. And, you know, he's a, he, he tries to put it to her and, you know, using all this um, psychology antics and says that um, you, wanted to have, you wanted to have power over men because of what mm-hmm. I did. You know, mm-hmm. and I think he used that as a head, a red herring, which he admits actually, mm-hmm. because he said that that became your addiction. You wanted to have power over men. Now mm-hmm. I'm sure there are experts who will tell you how that can relate. They may give you the technical terms and of how that actually mm-hmm. works. But he, to being an expert and being professional, he alludes this and she tries to deny it and he admits it's a red herring and moves her mm-hmm. into <laughs> the next question, trying to find out whether you're a good husband. Do you think you were a good husband? And then after, <laughs> after that, you look, okay, so, but his defense to that, because when you say, do you think you were a good husband? Because her problem is, you were you a good husband to your wife, to my mother? Because he would have heard mm-hmm. her screaming, which is also depicted in the film. And all. that's why I said there was a lot that went into this. So many pockets of stories here and there that sometimes you might not know exactly what part of it you actually want to major on. But he, he defends himself and says, okay, I'm a dad. Look at my son. My son plays for the Philadelphia Evil Eagle. This one is um. So, so I think one of his sons is an associate professor somewhere, one of the top yeah. universities or something. They were yeah. all high performing. They were children. all high performing children. So as a dad, okay, you want to fault me because of this pocket, little pocket of thing, but look at how your daughter and I also created a daughter who was able to run a poker game and made four million dollars. <laughs> Yep. So, good or bad, I put something in you that could make you do mm-hmm. it. You, you get what yeah. I get, my friend. I put something in you that could make you do it. If I, if, so she, he, he, his, his rebuttal is: I created high-performing children, and then he mm-hmm. moves it along in his cuts, his method of cutting short this consulting, and he said, ah. "So why didn't you like me as much as my brothers?" <laughs> and at the end of the day, he's like. This is exactly where I was going to. It's like, this should be the first thing you would have asked. Yeah. But this is how psychologists, I think, you know, they actually these series of questions to get to the root cause analysis of the whole issue. Mm-hmm. So it appears that it was some kind of, you know, sibling thing where she felt. But, you know, he professes his love for her as his daughter. He loves her. He doesn't want anybody to hurt her. And sometimes, you know, you drive these children so hard because you want the best for them. But... Mm-hmm it's not like you hate them or you feel you like or maybe their brother or sister more than them but at mm-hmm. the end of the day you are actually just doing something to make sure that she turns out to be mm-hmm. somebody that a better person in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a better place a good person you know at the end of yeah. the day yeah in her case um one of the major things he told her when she revealed her response was that he told her that it's not like he didn't love her or he loved her less than he loved her brothers, was that she had seen him, as you mentioned earlier, that she had seen him in a situation that showed that he was cheating on his wife. And based on that thing, he drove her extra hard because in his own words, he knew she knew. He knew she knew about those things. So in his in his own perverse way of trying to deal with the shame and try to handle the situation, he drove her extra hard. And she, even though she didn't know the reason at the time, subconsciously was rebelling against him by being extra rude and always questioning his motives. And having at the dinner tables when they were having conversations, she always gave the, the, the snarky reply. You know, yeah, and yeah. based on that, they now had a sort of rivalry that kept going on and on and on till she had the accident, and you know, she started living on her own. It's not a, it's not a perfect world out there. The issue nah. is that if you were to ask somebody now, okay, if I were to be born into this world, what kind of parents do I want? Do I want the one who will spoil me rotten, and then all of a sudden I wake, I wake, I come into a world I cannot do anything for myself because I was spoiled, and then my maybe somewhere along the line my father loses his business, and then I have to figure out life all by myself, or do I want to? <laughs> I know the sort or, of parents I want, or do I want to have parents who? will drill me very hard. Do I want to have a Michael Jackson kind of dad who will wake me up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. to make me play guitar, to play the guitar and dance in a kind of way, and then I turn out to be a global superstar and all that? Because, you see, each 
it, the way it is is that every which way you find it, there's always going to be a mm-hmm. problem. There's no perfect system because even the Michael no. Jackson that I cited as an example now, he complained that he lost his childhood. But do you want to gain yeah. your, if you gained your childhood? You probably might not, have been a, <laughs> you might not have been a global superstar. So yeah. um, that's not... Um, it's like a song about it. Yeah. So have you seen my childhood? Yeah. But I know the sort of person. I want the sort of parents that can afford to lose or pay $100 million in one night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would want parents that rich? Well, you want parents that rich, but you want them to be able to put something in you that you will give put you a hundred million dollars in me. <laughs> you will figure it out. <laughs> I'll figure it out. You don't want the work ethics. <laughs> uh, well, a hundred million dollars, I'll pay someone to give me the work ethics. <laughs> Molly's game was a very it was a it was a good movie. Some quite entertaining though, because he has a little bit of everything, you know. When he fuses yeah, into mafia part, it seems to be like an action film, a little bit brutal, the whole intellectual part of it, the whole legalese also. So it's a film that we, you I would recommend that. I mean, if you want to watch it over the weekend, if you have not seen it, and if you have seen something that is different from what we have talked about, please send us an email and um or send us a whatsapp message and um we can always review it on the show do you have any last words on yeka well it's a good it's a feel good movie molly's game was a very nice movie um if you like if you're a fan of kevin costner you're a fan of jessica chastain and if you are like all those wo- millions of women who i love with it to tell about it's a good movie to watch definitely definitely yeah. All right, and on that note, we will see you at the next reel. Have a good one, buddy. Love and light. Love and light. Thank you for listening to Real Talk Extra. That's R E L Talk Extra. Do us a solid and follow us everywhere that you listen to your podcast. We love feedback, so you can send us an email at podcast at realtalkextra.com or you can send us a whatsapp message and the number is plus one nine one nine two eight three six four four eight that's whatsapp only thanks once again for spending this time with us and we will see you at the next reel